Well, hey, church, happy Labor Day weekend, and uh, we're in the second month now of our series in the uh, Gospel According to Exodus, and uh, we hope that it's been a blessing to you so far. You know, I know that today uh, our scripture reading picks up in Exodus chapter 9, but actually the story that we're going to look at, it covers a wide range of chapters. We're going to pick up the story in chapter 7, which actually is the story where um, we're going to see these plagues that come down upon uh, the people in, in Egypt. At this time, I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but Moses is actually uh, 80 years old. And uh, Aaron, his brother, is 83 years old. So I just want to put that into perspective. As you consider what God is trying to do through these two men, Moses is 80 years old. Aaron is 83 years old. These aren't uh, two young bucks anymore. They're quite older of, in age. And, and yet the conditions around God's people in Israel weren't getting better. In fact, they were getting worse and the conditions were getting harsh uh, and, 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 and more severe as time went by. And so what God did is he called Moses and he called Aaron to continue to talk to Pharaoh, go meet with Pharaoh. And the request, and you guys know this, the, the request was to tell Pharaoh or ask of Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go. You know, Pharaoh was the king of Egypt, and he would not let the people go. And so there was this uh, uh, kind of confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh. But it really was just really not so much Moses and Pharaoh. It was a confrontation that God wanted to display who he was, not only to Pharaoh, but to the people of Israel. And Moses had all these questions, right? Like he, he wasn't sure if he was capable of talking to Pharaoh. Who am I that I should talk to Pharaoh? And, and Moses would go to God and say, you know, you know, God, how, how can I convince Pharaoh to let the people go? What, like what power do I have? Who, who do I say that you are? And, and he had all these questions. But, and he also said, you know, God, what if Pharaoh doesn't listen to me? And God basically replies and says, you're right. He's not. He's not going to listen to you. And you're kind of like wondering, like, what is going on right now? God is telling me to talk to Pharaoh, to let the people go. And yet at the same time, God's saying he's not going to listen, that he's actually going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And I think it's good to know that um, God wasn't uh, hardening the heart of someone that was good and, and pure and blameless. Pharaoh was already evil, and he had uh, an intent of uh, putting harsh, extreme suffering on God's people, and God had led him to uh, his heart to be hardened um, so that God and who he is would be on display for the people to see. And so God would bring these judgments, and God would say to Moses, you know, Moses, um, though I multiply the, the signs and the wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. And he will not let the people go. And so these plagues would come. And what Moses does in the, the book of Exodus, as he is writing, he actually spends quite a number of chapters describing in detail what actually had happened. There were 10 plagues, as you might know. And, and he spends a lot of time uh, helping the reader to understand what went on. And it was not only for um, the people that were a part of it, but for the generations to come. And even now, for the people of God today, it was for us to look back at the history of who God is and what God had done and the length that God would go to, to save his people, to deliver his people, and to rescue his people. And so Moses spends a few chapters on this, and for the sake of time, we weren't able to read it. 
from chapter 7 and on that actually goes on to chapter 10 and 11. But I think it's worth noting and worth understanding what these plagues were. And so I'm just going to go through them and highlight them and, and, sh- and kind of uh, shed light on the severity and what's, what's happening and, and really the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. That even after these plagues, I mean, for us, like even one plague would scare us. It, it's a harsh thing to deal with. And yet these 10 plagues came down upon Egypt, and yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The first plague we see in chapter 7 is what they call the plague of blood. And, and the people in Egypt and the people of God actually got their water supply and their daily necessity of uh, water from what they call the Nile River. And this first plague was, a, was, was God basically saying with the staff, with one blow and one strike, that Nile River will turn into blood. And the Nile River, it wasn't like, you know, like Lake Michigan, like a, a tourist destination. It wasn't a place where you just go and, and hang out and get good, you know, enjoy the day and enjoy the sun. It wasn't to go out on the boat. It was a place where their daily necessities were met. It, it was a source of water, source of life. And yet with one strike, God stopped all that. The entire water system was completely shut down with one strike. And, you know, I lived in California for pretty much my whole life. And we, we've had a number of years where we experienced uh, severe droughts in different degrees at times. And uh, there was one time I remember where there was this kind of um, order or, or to all the residents in California that we weren't allowed to use water or, uh, uh, you know, or, or to use an extreme amount of water for certain things like car washes and such. And so there were certain uh, restrictions that residents in California had because of the shortage of water. And yet what this plague is saying is like what we experienced in California with droughts, like that doesn't even come close. This is talking about they had no more water in one strike and one blow. Their, com- their water system was completely shot down. And, and Moses goes into detail, describes that the, not only the water was turn into blood and if you can imagine just the just the, the the imagery and the visual of that where you know you would see blue water I don't know maybe a little bit of uh, uh, you know dirt in there but water would turn red because the water would actually turn into blood and Moses writes in the account that not only was the water turned into blood but the fish would die because of it and not only would the fish die because of it but as a result of the the blood and the fish dying that the Nile actually stank that's what the Bible says. I didn't, I didn't write that. The Bible says that the Nile stank. The King James probably says stanketh. But can you imagine, like, if Lake Michigan had the stank and the stink and fish were dying by the hundreds and maybe thousands and 10,000 and just one strike of the staff? Can you imagine what kind of chaos our city would be in? And this was just the first And you know what's crazy is that uh, Pharaoh's heart still remained hardened. He was not phased. I mean, how how hard must your heart be? You know what I mean? I mean, you ever think about that? How hard, even if you don't realize it, how hard must his heart have been to, to see this happening to his people and yet continue resisting God? Like if it was me, you know? And, you know, I'm, I'm no king or whatever. I'm no pharaoh. But if it was me, as soon as I saw that first drop of blood, I would have said, let the people go. Right? I don't care if it was a nosebleed that caused it. Just let the people go. I, I'm not, I'm not going to entertain that. I'm not going to risk it. Let the people go. As soon as I see that first fish die, flip over. 
I'm going to say, let the people go. As soon as I smell anything from the river, let the people go. I'm out. Please go. And yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he didn't let the people go. And so the second plague in chapter 8, and now because the heart, the heart of Pharaoh is still hardened, God says to Pharaoh, I will plague your country with frogs. Right? And some of you guys, you know, maybe you like frog lovers. I don't know. Um, you, you, might, you might say, that's not so bad. And maybe you might even be like, that's kind of cute. You know, maybe I could pick up a few and keep them as pets in my house. But I want you to understand, these aren't just a few frogs. God had deployed all the frogs. I mean, this is a busy season for frogs. He said, all the frogs, get ready. You're about to go and, and just basically go into everything and everywhere. Uh, the houses, the home, the bedrooms, into the bed, the ovens, the netting bowls. I'm just reading what the Bible says here. And they will come upon you. They're not even going to just be on your bed. They will be on you. Oh, heck no, right? This, this is not cute, right? This is, this, is a, uh, this is chaos and all the frogs are deployed by God and the frogs are everywhere. and Again, I don't know about you, but as soon as they see a frog not where it's supposed to be, like if it's in the oven, it's got you got you got to kind of be like that's not where a frog should be. And when the frog is on you, you're probably like, why is that frog on me, right? And 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 it should kind of and this is happening everywhere. It should cause a hardened heart to soften, and say, I turn away from my sin. And yet Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. But you know, this time what's different is that uh, when you read the Bible, it says that Pharaoh, he was actually affected by the frogs. Not the Nile River, but the frogs kind of got to him. So he would actually tell Moses, can you plead with the Lord to take the frogs away? And so Moses did so, and and Pharaoh actually got relief. And so God kind of allowed the frogs to, to stop, and he got relief. But Pharaoh, as soon as he got relief, his heart hardened again. You guys see that? What, what, what the Bible is trying to say is that, you know, that what looks like, what looks like, you know, a repentance may not actually be repentance. That he just wanted this relief. And as soon as he got it, he went back to his old way. And so God would send a third plague. It's the plague of the gnats where Aaron with the staff strikes the dust of the ground and, and, uh, and everything just, you know, gnats just came upon people everywhere. And this plague was one of those plagues that the magicians uh, and the people that were under Pharaoh, they could not perform this miracle. They could not perform this exact thing. And so they actually said, this is the finger of God in the third plague. But yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so the fourth plague is the plague of flies, where God would send swarms of flies on all the Egyptians. It poured into the Pharaoh's palace. It poured into the homes. And you'll notice that with the fourth plague, though, there's a mention of how God's people, Israel, will be saved. And, and, and these, these flies and, and what, would, what would harm the Egyptians would actually not harm Israel because there was a place called Goshen. And Goshen was this place in which God's people would dwell. And what God did was he allowed Goshen to be the safety net, this, this, this no-fly zone, no pun intended, no, this no-fly zone where he said, I will protect the, the dwelling place of my people. They will not be affected by the plagues, but all of Egypt would have these plagues. 
And yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so we go into chapter 9 as we read today. Uh, we, we know about the plague of livestock where all the livestock of Egypt died. And it's important to note that uh, none of the livestock, nothing that belonged to Israel actually died. They were spared. They were given life. They were nourished. They were sustained. And yet Egypt, because of the, the, the king of, of Egypt's sin and Pharaoh's sin and disobedience and hardened heart, they suffered tremendously under God's wrath. And yet Pharaoh's heart was still hardened, right? How hard must your heart be to experience this and see your people go through this and yet have so much pride that you would say, I will still be the king and I will not let the people go. And so what God did was he would send the plague of boils. This is the sixth plague the, the, where the suit became dust over Egypt, causing boils, and, and yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And plague number seven is the plague of hail. We read that today in our scripture reading. This is the worst storm in all of Egypt. Hail, thunder, and fire. This is all descriptive in the Bible. And with this plague, it was not just on Egypt. Moses actually writes down this plague was actually uh, on Pharaoh himself. One commentary says this plague was directed at Pharaoh's heart to reveal how hard his heart was, how prideful he was, how much he wanted to establish himself as king. And yet God wanted Pharaoh to know and he wanted Egypt to know, he wanted Israel to know that there is no one like God in all the earth. There is no one like God in all the earth. And yet even with the hail in the land of Goshen, there was no hail. The people of God were spared. They were rescued. This is the salvation story of Israel, right? And this time with the hail, you know what Pharaoh does? He actually acknowledges his sin. He acknowledged, That's what the Bible says. He acknowledges his sin. And, and we call that confession. We say we acknowledge and we realize our sin. But oftentimes what looks like Repentance is not because, again, what Pharaoh does is he, he acknowledges sin, but as soon as he gets relief, he sins yet again. And so the goal for Pharaoh was not repentance. The goal for Pharaoh, Pharaoh was relief. And what God wanted was not for just Pharaoh to understand what he did, but to turn and to turn towards God, right? And so we um, see in chapter 10, if you would read, ahead uh, maybe this week as you could catch up on that but in chapter 10 god would send uh, a plague number eight it's the plague of the locusts where the officials um you know told the people uh told pharaoh to let the people go and yet pharaoh's heart was hardened the ground was covered with locusts and it devoured everything to the point where there was just darkness Upon Egypt. And plague number nine is where for three days God would send darkness. And this is not just the darkness where it's just the absence of light. It was this darkness that the, the Bible says that a darkness you can feel. It was felt. No one could move. No one could see, but no one could even move because it was that dark. You could feel the darkness. And yet the Bible says that Israel had light. That's important. And yet the last plague. 10th plague in chapter 11 is the plague of the firstborn where Moses said, yet there will be one more plague where every firstborn in Egypt will die, even the Pharaoh's son. And yet what's crazy, as I even read this, you know, and we're just reading it. We don't have pictures of it. We weren't there. But can you imagine 
the degree and how, 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 how much more we would be affected if we even saw pictures, if we even had a glimpse into what that suffering was like. And yet, you know, common sense would say, man, the people had a, had a, should have, you know, been free long time ago. And yet Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. And with every plague, the intensity grew. And with every plague, it was, it was, it was, it was a sign that God does not tolerate sin, that he actually pours his wrath upon sin. But in the same way, God also delivers and saves his people. He provides a way out. He provides Goshen. He says, they will be protected for they are my people. (coughs) Excuse me. And the real question, the real question for these plagues you know, we look at these plagues and we say, man, that's intense. And, and we should take these plagues with great weight. But the question that I think we have to ask today and the question that I have and the burden that I have to, to our church today is around the question, why the severity? Why would God go to such great extreme and great length and distance to send such extreme plagues to his people? And we know that what God wanted was Moses to go to to Pharaoh and say, let the people go. We know that, but I'm asking a deeper question. Was it just to let the people go? In other words, is it just about the people of God being free from injustice, which is a good thing? But was it just that? Or was it just relief from suffering? They, they had physically suffered so much that God just wanted them to, be, to have relief. Was it just that? That's a good thing. But was there more? Or was it just just to make the life of Israel easier? Was it to give them a comfortable life that the many of us so want so badly? Was it just to seek comfort? And, and what I want to share with you today is that as we see these plagues from chapter 7 through 11, is that when we, as we also read chapter 9, verse 13 and on today, there's three reasons, three things that God clarifies for us that gives us insight into why the severity of the plagues. And you see God's wrath, but you also see God's grace as he saves his people. The first one is in Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. And here's what God says. The Lord, uh, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go. We know that. Here's what I wanted to bring your attention to. He says, let my people go that they may serve me. Verse 13, that they may serve me. So let my people go, not just for the sake of the injustice that's been happening, not just so that their life can be uh, uh, free from all the physical, harsh labor that they should not have to endure, but let my people go so that they may serve me. In fact, when you read many other translations in the NIV or the Christian Standard Bible, it actually uses the word worship instead of the word serve. So this can be read as, let my people go so that they may worship me. And so serve me and worship me are are, are two different translations that are found in the Bible because these two are not separate from each other, but I would say they are so closely tied and interconnected together that that they're kind of one and the same. God wanted the people to be free, not so they could have a comfortable life and just be free from injustice, though that was one of the things that would happen. God wanted them free so that they can actually serve God. 
and worship God. Because who or what you serve is who or what you worship. Who or what you serve is who or what you worship. God wanted his people to be free from the bondage of Pharaoh so that they don't have to serve Pharaoh, but that they can serve God. So that they don't have to have this pressure to worship Pharaoh, but that could, they could worship God. God wanted them free for a bigger purpose. There, there was a bigger thing, a bigger um, thing at stake. It, it, it wasn't just the comfort of God's people. It was the worship of God's people. And that phrase, so that, so that they may worship me, so that they may serve me, if you would just do a Google search or one of those Bible websites and you just search in that phrase, so that they may worship me, what you're going to find is that it comes up seven times in the Bible. And all seven times, it's an exodus. And all seven times in exodus, it's in the context of these plagues. God repeatedly says seven times in Exodus 7 through 10, let my people go so that they may worship me. In the wilderness, 7.16 says, so that they may worship me, 8.1. In chapter 8.20, chapter 9, verse 1, chapter 9, verse 13, chapter 10, verse 3, chapter 10, verse 7. Let my people go so that. That's important. If you are one of those that highlights or underlines things in your Bible, that should be underlined. That should be highlighted. The so that is important because when you establish the so that, you know the so then. You know, you know why you're doing what you're doing. Let my people go so that they may worship me and worship me in the wilderness. So that, so that, so that. So what's at stake with the deliverance of Israel was not just their comfort, or not, not the freedom to be comfortable, right? It wasn't the freedom to now choose God wasn't just saying, now, you know, let them go so they can just choose whoever they want to worship. That wasn't God's heart because that would be slavery back again. God wanted them to be free so that they can worship the one they were created to worship. That's true freedom, that they may worship and serve the Lord. I love that the first point of the Westminster Catechism that says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That the chief end, the end of man's you know, existence, the chief end of man is to glorify God. It's not to have comfort. It's not to just have justice. The chief end of man, you hear me? The chief end of man is to glorify God, to worship him. As it says, let my people go so that they may worship. They may glorify me and enjoy me forever. That was God's heart. Phil Riken, you, you may know, is the current president of Wheaton College here in Illinois. He has a commentary on Exodus, a very lengthy and uh, amazing commentary uh, on this book. And he says that, that what God is doing with these plagues is God was saving his people for his glory. God was saving his people, not for themselves, but for his glory. That was the so that. So it makes me think about everything that we do in our lives. 
in everything that Christ has done on our behalf. It makes me think about what Christ has done in you, what Christ wants to do in you, what Christ has done for the church, why God has brought you to where you are now and placed you with the people you are with and at the job you're at. It makes me think about why do I do what I do? Do I have the same so that? And I want to ask you that. What is your so that? Your work and your career, what, what's the chief end? What's the so that? If you were to fill in the blank, I work and I pursue this so that, what would it be? Would it be comfort? Would it be independence? Or would you say, so that I may serve the Lord? God wanted his people free so that they can serve and worship him so that they may serve or worship me. So here's what I know about us. Here's what I know about the redeemed people of God. God has an amazing life for you. God has an amazing life for us. And as a church, he has a great plan for us. But it's not what we want in our flesh. God's greatest design was so that we can glorify him and enjoy him forever. So that we may worship him, know him, and serve him. And so here's what I want to say. Our life, your life, church, our life can be an amazing so that or a boring so what. See, our life can be a purposeful so that or a meaningless so what. When you share about your desire to pursue this and what you're doing at your work and your, what, what you're adding to your resume and, and what's happening in your life and how, how you're climbing the ladder and how you're building your kingdom, when you share all that and people say, for what? And, 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 and with whatever you share, would people say, okay? Or would people be amazed that you're doing enough for your own glory, but to the glory of God? And that's my challenge and my encouragement for us, church. And when we think about why we do what we do, why we pray what we pray, and why we desire what we desire, that our so that would be in alignment with God's so that. That it wouldn't be so that I can be more independent, more comfortable, have more pleasure, but that our life and everything would be around the chief end of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. May that be our so that. See, freedom is not independence. Freedom is, freedom in, in many ways, if it's misunderstood, can lead to more addiction and lead to more slavery. I, I think about when we're in college or uh, some, of, some of us may have experienced that. Some of us in college have really grown in Christ, but some of us in college just really uh, understood the, the, um, this, this, this opportunity as as just I get to now do whatever I want, you know, being away from my parents' house. And so what was intended for a time for people in college to mature and be more responsible for some of us has become a time where we've become more immature and more irresponsible, causing more problems in life and even still with the side effects of that even now, right? And that's not what freedom really is. It's not to do whatever you want. It's not the ability to do or go wherever you want. Freedom is the ability to do what you were made for. God has made you. God has made me. God has made us for himself, for his purposes, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. Don't forget that first, so that, so that we may worship him. The second reason for the plagues is 
um, in verse 14, it says, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. God is sending these plagues and he's sending his power on display so that people, and especially Pharaoh, would know there is none like God in all the earth. And here's the kicker. Pharaoh thought there is none like me in all the earth. Pharaoh thought there is no one like me. I am the king of Egypt. He thought there was no one that can compare to me. God was saying, hold on, let me show you who I am. Let me just show you a little bit of who I am. And what he's trying to establish is that Pharaoh, you are not God. This was an indictment on Pharaoh and his position. God was establishing himself and saying, I hold the position of ultimate provision. I am the one that causes water to flow. I am the one that causes the sun to rise. The reason for these plagues, when you study the history of idol worship in Egypt, it was an indictment on the Egyptian gods where they believed that the Nile was personified and worshipped as God in Egypt because the waters brought life. The relevance of the frogs, they believed that, you know, um, the, the Egyptian gods of childbirth was, was depicted as a head of a frog. And so they had all these different idols in their system and in their culture and in their society. And so the attack on the Nile and the attack on, the, on, on Egypt was really an attack on the people. It was an attack on the false gods that Egypt had established and Pharaoh as one. It was God's way of saying, there is no one like me. Pharaoh is not God. Pharaoh is not the king of all the earth. There was no one like me that you may know, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. The Lord of Israel was the Lord of Egypt. And through these plagues, God is displaying the unique power, the omnipotence of God, that he holds all provision and all power. There is no one that ranks higher than God. There is no one that has seniority over God. There is no one that God has to report to. He is who he says he is. And so the freedom God wanted to give Israel was not a freedom of independence and go now and choose to do whatever you want. It was a freedom to no longer be dependent on Pharaoh and the idols, but in the wilderness to be dependent on God. So that as they go, they not only worship and serve, but they are dependent on who God is. So they would say, there is none like our God. That was the second so that. The last so that is this. The third reason for the plagues. In verse 16, it says, so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. God is saying, my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. So not only God is letting his people go so they will worship and serve, to know that there is no one like him, but he, 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 he's saying, I'm sending these plagues so that through generations, people would know who I am. What God is doing is he's giving reasons for worship. He's giving Israel and the generations to come reasons for why they should worship God. And in, and in so doing, what God is doing, he's producing generational worshipers. You read on into chapter 10, and you, you know what the Bible says in chapter 10? It says, God would call the people of Israel, call your sons and call your grandsons. Call the generations. And the generations and your sons and your grandsons will one day call their sons and their grandsons. And then their grandsons and their sons will call their sons and grandsons. It was a generation after generation. God showing 
the people of God why they should proclaim his name in all the earth. We find this in Deuteronomy 6, chapter, 20, chapter 6, 21 through 22. It should be on your screen. It says, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. He's giving them reason to worship. And in Psalm 78, verse 44 through 48, this is part of the Israel's worship, their song and their singing. They would actually declare this. And, and part of their song was about what happened in Egypt. He says, he turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies, which devoured them, and frogs, which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locusts and the fruit of their labor to the locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail and their flocks to thunderbolts. Now, I don't know how you sing that, but they sang it. It was part of their worship. And God had given Israel for generations to come reasons why they would proclaim his name in all the earth. When God is setting his people free, it's so that they may worship him, so that they would know there is no one like God in all the earth, and so that they would have reasons to worship and proclaim his name in all the earth. And the last plague, we're going to pick this up next week, but the last plague was the worst. The last plague was where uh, God would say, Every firstborn son of Egypt, even Pharaoh's son, would die. This is the wrath of God. This is the, the judgment on, on, on the people who would disobey. This is the judgment and the wrath of those who would sin. And yet at the same time, we see the salvation of people, right? There was a Goshen for the people of Israel. And what this is showing is this is just a foreshadow of Christ who would come on our behalf. And instead of us dying or the people dying, God would die on our behalf so that as God died, we will live. And on the cross, what Jesus does, he stands in our place. He takes upon the wrath of God and the sin and the judgment and, and, and the, the wrath that was meant for us that had our name on it. Christ stands in our place takes our place, takes the wrath of God, and instead of us receiving the wrath in Christ, we are saved, we are rescued, we are reconciled, and instead of wrath, we actually get grace. And what this is showing us is that it points us to the gospel that says Christ is our Goshen. Christ is the place in which we can flee to for safety. Christ is the place where we can go to for rescue. Christ is where we flee. And so as you read this, as you hear this message, it calls us to humbly flee from our sin, calls us to humbly flee from our hardened hearts and move towards Goshen, which is Christ. Go and move towards Christ. He is our rescue. He is our salvation. And as we run to Christ, may we worship him. May we know that there is no one like him in all the earth. And may we proclaim him in all the earth. Would you bow your heads with me?